Where'd you get that water? We stole it. That's a crime. It's a crime what he charges. Then farm your own water. Look, old man. My name is Boba Fett. We know who you are. Go back to your palace. Watch your tongue. I'm the daimyo of this district and I will bring order. You're a crime boss. Just like the rest of them. If you're a daimyo, then why'd you let the monger charge us a month's wages for a week's war? Not that we have any wages. You live in the workers' district. You all should be working. There is no work, mighty daimyo. Look around you. Then you will work for me. You got guts, I'll give you that. Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. This is episode 451, The Tribes of Moss Espa. I am, as always, one of your hosts, Carl LeClaire, and I am joined in this special Book of Boba Fett episode by none other than Ion Cannon himself, Mr. Gregory Cass. Good evening. I intend to be a through respect, not fear. <laughs> Seems like a solid game plan. Oh, wait, let me take another try that. Jason co-hosted in fear. I will co-host <laughs> in respect. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's 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 so true. Jason certainly instills fear. Um, <laughs> if, that's, if there's one thing that someone who loves Jar Jar Binks is <laughs> known for, it's their ability to instill fear. <laughs> oh... No, Greg, I'm so I'm so glad that you had some time to to come on and chat some more Book of Boba Fett. Uh, Jason and I, as we kind of shared last week on last week's episode, have decided uh, the main show is probably going to go into more of an every other week type of of thing. But here and there, if there's going to be something really feel compelled to talk to, this is talk about this is the joy of having a podcast can just hop on with with a good friend like you, Greg. And uh, we're going to just kind of look at the last two episodes of Book of Boba Fett. So chapter two, the tribes of Tatooine and chapter three, which came out today as of our recording, the streets of Mos Espa. So just to put it out there right now, spoilers ahead. Uh, Greg and I aren't going to hold back from things that happened in both of those episodes. So if you're not up to date on Book of Boba Fett, um, I suggest you wait and come back when you have. Um, so that said, Greg, I've chapter, let's start with chapter two. Um, okay. Cause I feel like it, it, I really feel like chapter two turned a lot of fans more deeply onto the show. Um, I was, I was myself was a little surprised at, uh, you know, I loved chapter one. I, I, I think I may have, uh, I have not come across as, as many people that were as crazy about it as I was. 
Um, but there was definitely a lot of like people were like that was a really good first episode. It was a lot of fun. But then episode two here, a lot of folks were like, whoa, that was awesome. That was really, really good. Did you feel like there was uh, – did you feel more invested ap- after chapter two? I think that definitely sums up my feelings. Um, you know, I think there's a problem in fandom right now where we get so much given to us that we want just more and more and more, right? We're insatiable. Mm-hmm. So the the main frustration I heard from a lot of people after chapter one is nothing happened or, you know, I think it was kind of just too short for a lot of people. Um, it made me think about how they often roll out the Marvel shows with two right mm-hmm. away right and and i think boba fett might have benefited from that if we'd gotten those two t- together um but uh, i completely agreed the second episode uh, you know as soon as it was over i think i was tweeting and texting and saying like oh my god this this was just an incredible you know hour or so of television and and really uh got me much more jazz than i i had been i didn't dislike the first and i was fine with kind of taking it slow but it, but it was much better that second hour i think yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I think the, the first episode is still my favorite as of right now. Um, but the second episode is is phenomenal, uh, mainly for, for me. I just really loved the continued exploration of his time with the Tuscans. Um, again, you know, uh, a lot of as a lot of folks have talked about, I mean, that, that first episode even, people were really excited to see the Tuscan Raiders really getting this love and this respect. Uh, and just how incredibly um, conscious they are of the fact that the Tuscan Raiders are a group of indigenous people and mm-hmm. really seem to have sunk their teeth into that part of their identity, that they are, um, you know, the, this, these, this group of people that have always lived among the Dune Sea. Uh, it is their land and they're clearly encroachers on that land and, and just kind of playing with those tropes uh, in, in even, you know, being introduced in chapter one. And then they really go deep with it in chapter two, you know, with, with Boba Fett really being welcomed into the tribe in a very profound way. Um, you know, with, with the, uh, the spirit journey he takes, um, and I loved this. I mean, I love anything that's going to be mystical in Star Wars. And it, and it was definitely new. I mean, it was really new to get something like this. Um, well, actually, I immediately disagree with myself. I think it's <laughs> it's new for live action again. I, it, mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's that dissimilar from some of the visions Anakin has in Clone Wars. You know, if you think mm-hmm. of the Mortis arc and some of the things he sees there. Um, we've seen this stuff in Star Wars before, but maybe it's just we've never seen it in live action. Um, but uh, I like that point because it, it brings to mind as well the Tartakovsky Clone Wars. I think the second mm-hmm. set, right, where Anakin has a vision while with a tribe of of indigenous aliens. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. And and in the discourse about these episodes, I think there's always this little gap between people who have totally dismissed the the cartoon series for whatever reason and people who you know, take it all in and, and seems to be a very different kind of appreciation. And sometimes one group is ahead of the other vice versa in terms of how positive they are. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know after, after watching this uh, chapter two, the first time I immediately texted you because I was like, wow, I really like this, this vision quest, but what's it, what does it mean? And, uh, 
you know, you gave me the, like your response was just like, Oh yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to take the words out of your mouth, but you know, uh, and now every time I've gone back to it, it's like, okay, I understand this. And I understand this moment even more now. Um, but right. He, he sees himself on Camino again, and then slowly being devoured by the star, like all that's going on. Um, and you know, what was the takeaway for you from that? Yeah. So what, what I said at the time was, was kind of my quick take, but I, I stuck to it, which is to me, uh, part of what we're learning about here with Boba is how Boba learned to not be alone. Right. And that really fits with the traditional view we have of Boba Fett, which is he's a loner. He's a cold blooded killer and bounty hunter and, and just a lone wolf who, who's going to uh, just uh, be out for the hunt. Um, and I think to me, the vision quest was teaching him how to get over those feelings of ne- needing to be on uh, on his own. Um, so that opening where you have him on Camino, and, and that was revisited in episode three as well, you know, that's a very lonely moment. I, I mean, to think of how sterile and kind of boring Camino always is depicted. Um, and there he is, his dad's leaving him there by himself. And, and we know how sparse that apartment is, right? There, there doesn't seem to be a Nintendo or anything <laughs> in there. So, um, and then, uh, you know, I can only imagine that, uh, you know, being in the Sarlacc is, is the most kind of awful individual suffering you can imagine, right? You're, you're isolated. You're just slowly suffering for a thousand years as, as Jabba tells us. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, if those were his defining characteristics, he needed to learn how to be a part of a tribe and the gathering of the gaffy stick. And, and so the vision through to the, the forming of the gaffy stick, the crafting of the gaffy stick, I think was him, kind of learning for himself, it's okay. I can be a part of a tribe. I can care about something more than just myself and more than just who I am. And, you know, one question that sticks in my mind, and I'll I'll throw it back to you with this thought too, is I'm still not convinced how long he was in the Sarlacc. Mm -hmm. I I mean, the show shows the wreckage still right there. I mean, I don't think it's it's years and years, but I think it might've been a long period of suffering, not just like an hour later, right? Did Luke and, and, uh, Han and Lando and Leia peel out and Boba popped up immediately. I, I can't tell. Mm, no, I'm, I'm with you on that too. I no idea. Um, and, and it seems with at least what we've had so far, it seems like the answer from the showrunners would be, it doesn't matter maybe. Right. Mm. Um, yeah. He's in there long enough to certainly feel what you, you know, uh, just kind of pointed out, which is the extreme uh, <laughs> isolation of that experience. Um, and, and actually just using the word isolation even has me thinking of, I wonder if in any way the pandemic influenced the way they wrote this story, right? <laughs> like we've all in a way been in that Sarlacc pit somewhat isolated for the last 18 months and we're longing for our tribes, our people, our, our communities again. Um, so I, I don't, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but, uh, <laughs> I was just going to say spoken as somebody without kids because I I could use a little less time with my tribe (laughs) if we're being honest. I could use some isolation, but too funny. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) Um, But yeah, well, when he, I just, I love when he comes back from from the quest and. you know, we get this beautiful mo I can't wait for them to release the music for the show. And my guess is they're probably mm-hmm. going to do what they've been doing with a lot of the Marvel shows as well as what they did with Bad Batch, which is essentially give us two volumes. They did that as well with season two of Mandalorian. Um, mm-hmm. I miss the episode by episode releases where we got every piece of music. 
Um, but all the same, the music as he's kind of, you know, uh, spiritually entering into this almost like meditation like practice of, of creating his own gaffy stick is so powerful. And, you know, you're a lot more educated about mythology than I am, but it, it just makes me think of so many of those just ancient myths about the the lone person going into the forest and comes back with something um, and, and has to, you know, I don't know if this is Campbellian in any way, Greg, the, you know, he comes back with, in a sense, a boon, and now he shapes that to, to bring into the world in a new way. Um, I don't know. Does that hold up there? I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, so the boon should be something that benefits all of society. So I think that's a little trickier to apply that exact term. Um, you know, he certainly learned something about himself, Hmm. but the, the term that comes to mind for me is, um, you know, uh, in, in true Campbell, when you return to your home culture or your zone of safety, um, you then have another little trial of some kind and become the master of two worlds. And that means you're, you know, you're who your home community needs because you're also the master of the underworld or, or of the strange. Um, and so not just the forming of the gaffy stick, the forging, I should say, of the gaffy stick, um, but when he's getting suited up, um, and we've seen it in the flashbacks and in the present day, right? He 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 takes the Tuscan garb, but not the mask, right? Um, and then later he'll put his own armor over the Tuscan robe, um, and in both those ways, he feels like a uh, a master of two worlds, right? He is the master of the mm-hmm. tribe, um, and also the master of of himself and who his best form may be. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to note as we're talking about, it, you know, it's been fascinating for me to listen to a lot of the, the voices in fandom who are indigenous or, or um, are more experienced with indigenous cultures. And I think there's been a lot of mixed feelings about, you know, the appropriation of this. Now, certainly they're being much more sensitive than, um, you know, uh, westerns of old of course right uh, and and being respectful and i think a lot of people have pointed out that that tim morrison is you know um has maori uh you know uh heritage and he's kind of incorporating that into this culture and then um and so on and and i think that's all really kind of beautiful but at the same time i think some people are still kind of questioning I don't know if this is exactly what uh, should be done or if these are the exact forces that should bring these voices into fandom and, um, you know, questioning how informed they are by actual um, indigenous peoples. And I've really, I've seen voices on both sides. I'm I'm certainly not condemning uh, the show for it. It's just been really interesting to kind of learn by listening and hearing what, what people think as they see themselves represented, um, but maybe not as cleanly as they'd like. Hmm. That's a good point. I, I, I wasn't, yeah, I didn't even see the signed, uh, I didn't see folks. The only thing I saw in regards from coming from an indigenous person was, you know, the point of, you know, it's neat. They made the comment of like, Oh, it's neat to see people excited about this, you know, level of indigenous culture being introduced through the Tuscans. If only people cared this much about actual indigenous cultures. <laughs> yeah. Know, which Instead is, of fighting about Tuscans online, right, maybe right, learn maybe. about an actual indigenous culture near you. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I do think that, um, 
you know, the, the tribal dance at the end, it, it was kind of just the, the real symbol of it. Right. And it mm-hmm. was kind of incredible to see something like this represented on screen, but at the same time, it's, it's, you know, through a filter of a weird alien culture, not an actual pure, you know, indigenous culture. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a really interesting debate. I think the show's heart is in the right place, but they maybe didn't get all the way there, but still deserve credit for the attempt, at least some credit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that's the Tuscans are what have drawn me to both of the first two episodes so much. Um, I did. I did. I saw you rocking that T-shirt today. Man, <laughs> oh, yeah. Already merched up. That's awesome. <laughs> well, and now, I mean, well, like I said, I already spoiler alert, but damn it. He's dead. <laughs> like <Yeah>. WTF. <laughs> Um, you and everybody who backed the uh, Razor Crest have the same, <laughs> same concern. Just, yeah, yeah. Well, tonight I'll take the shirt off and burn it, I guess. But <laughs> um, no, well, so well, I brought it up. So let's kind of just bop around here to that. I was really taken aback with what they did in, in Chapter 3 there by killing the, the Tuscan camp. Now, I will say the only recognizable Tuscan we see dead is the chief, the shaman-like character. We don't see the warrior that he was clearly building some level of a friendship with. We don't see the little boy or little girl. I don't, I don't the, you know, the younger person that he's with throughout the first two episodes. So neither one of their bodies are shown, which I almost feel like isn't an accident. Like I feel like they would have shown them if they had been slain. So maybe some did get away. I don't know. Um, Obviously time will tell. Uh, But all the same, I mean, I think the spirit of that moment is, yeah, the reason, you know, it's the question I think we've been asking for a couple of weeks now is why does Bo believe them? Well, they were all killed. Uh, Mm. Personally, I didn't like that decision. Uh, I also felt like it was, I will say the music as he's walking through the camp is again beautiful, a very different type of music for Star Wars. Um, I'd play it now if it was released, but it's still not released. <laughs> um, but it is. It, there's something very uh, like it's it's a very choral heavy piece. I mean, it, it's uh, reminiscent in spirit to you know the Qui Gon's funeral music, if you will, from Phantom mm-hmm. Menace. You know, it kind of has that m- sense of mourning. Um, but I, I did feel like it was very abrupt and. It just kind of bugs me that it's like, well, the only thing we can do to separate him from them is to kill them all. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess it makes sense to the story, but it just, I don't know. I don't, how did it sit with you? Like, it, it just felt so abrupt. It's like, oh, shit, I guess they're all dead. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and I think they wanted, they did it that way for the emotional gut punch of it. Like, he went out to, like, take their first step into a larger world, right, to, to assert their power. And while he was away, they're all gone. Um, and, and again, since it's, it is such a rich moment of color representation, it, it makes me worried about, you know, what is uh, kind of colloquially called fridging, right? Which is, you know, you kill off uh, a wife or a girlfriend usually just to advance the plot of the male character. And, mm. and the idea being that that's all they exist for is just for that. Now, you know, I think if, today's episode was the only thing we'd seen of the Tuscans, then that would just stand. But at the same time, I could understand somebody who was really thankful for their, their culture being represented, just being really frustrated that, Oh, but guess what? It didn't matter as much as, you know, advancing the the story of this one guy. Um, And it is a guy and, and he's not white, but often presents through whiteness in some ways. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I certainly was taken aback. I agree with you. I, I would put good money on the warrior being alive because there was no sign of her whatsoever. Um, not to be dark, but I think the kid is probably gone. Um, they, he did burn their, their fake gaffy stick, right? Their, their toy oh, stick. That's, that's um, what that was. I, I thought that was a leftover from his carving session. Thanks for pointing that out. That makes a tremendous amount of sense. Toy, and, and yeah. what I suspect on that is that Disney Plus doesn't want you to show a dead child's body, if I had to guess, right? They they control content a little bit. You know, they, they want everything to remain somewhat PG, pushing towards PG-13 at times. But um, I, I always think back to Hamilton when Lin-Manuel had to edit out the two F-words because it's it was going on Disney Plus instead of the theaters. So... <laughs> Oh, wow. That makes tremendous sense, though, why he pulled that out of his robe. Because I, I just stupidly in my mind, I was like, oh, that must that's the last little piece of his, you know, untouched uh, piece <laughs> of wood there. Um, but, yeah, no, that, you're right. That's obviously the kids. But I, it is interesting that they don't show the warrior that, you know, was training him. Um, mm-hmm. And I, the, the stunt actress. Uh, oh, my goodness. I'm blanking on her name. Uh, Joanna Bennett. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah. It's been cool to just see her like blow up on social media the last few days. Totally. Um, and uh, just from like looking into that, it, it, I watched a really cool clip. She was the stunt double for Brie Larson in Captain Marvel. Mm. And I guess when Brie Larson won an award for a, you know a fight sequence, she called her up and the other woman who was her stunt double and gave them the the award. She's like, they did the work, not me. I was just <laughs> just a reminder of how cool Brie Larson is. Um, yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, I, I, so I don't know. Maybe that that character will show back up, but yeah, probably I, not. Well, and, and I'm going to phrase it to you as a, a what do you want? Um, you know, I, I don't think either of us can guess. It seems like this could be the end of the flashbacks, right? Mm-hmm. We could just move in the present day from here on out. Um, or we could get more of this story filled in. So so what do you want? Uh, you know, I think... I mean, I want more stuff with the Tuscans. I just don't see how it's possible at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I the thing I could see about still getting some flashback is I I just feel like he's going to hunt that gang down. Um, yeah, that that killed them. But there's but then again, he's one person. Maybe that's part of why he chooses to become I don't know a crime lord, and he's going to root them out from their stem. I don't know. Uh, I, and we we've seen no sign of that gang in the present day. Correct. correct. I think yeah. that's correct. Yeah. 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 Um are you are you um are you hoping for more flashbacks? Um I I think I'm okay if they go to the present day now. I certainly I mean I really liked the second episode um and all the flashback material, but I did feel like oh my god, this is like 40 of the 50 minutes are in the past. Like I I was looking for more forward momentum. We got that more today, and I found myself like, eh, I don't know if I like this as much. Um, so I, I don't know what I really want, right? It <laughs> seems like I don't, I can't identify what I want. Um, I think, I think I trust uh, John Favreau to tell us the story he wants to tell, and I'll, I'll follow along with whatever he gives us. But um, the one thing that gives me a little bit of hope um, is in Mandalorian. Um, uh, the uh, is it? Gosh. Uh, the Toro Calican episode. I don't remember the name of it. Oh yeah. Um, um, gunslinger. But the point is, 
they the gunslinger that's right they have to pay the tuscans to cross the dune sea right right so when you know in episode two when boba kind of says that to the pikes i was like well there it is and now everybody who crosses the dune sea has to pay off the tuscans um now it could be a different tribe in different territory you know the geography of tatooine is still being kept pretty vague um but it makes me think there's there's something else there, right? In those five years, Tuscans continue to gain power, but um, I don't know if we'll see any more of it, honestly. Mm. Yeah, I, I think, and that's what's that's. I think that's what I'm somewhat perplexed with. Greg is what has been most compelling to me is his relationship with the Tuscans um, and how they've helped him uh, come into a new sense of himself. Uh, so his, mm. his that relationship he's built with 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 the Tuscans is has been kind of the heart and soul of the story for me. So with that kind of getting gutted today, I was just like, oh, this stinks. <laughs> that was that was my favorite part. Um, and what's kind of tricky about it is I, I agree and that it was like, oh, we're going to learn how, you know, Boba became human. Right. Like mm-hmm. how he found himself. And, and, you know, I think back to Clone Wars Boba, who was just desperate to kill Mace Windu and maybe that could have been in episode three, right? The reports that Daniel Logan was held in Australia, ready to shoot something if George wrote it. Um, but what's weird to me, and, and this is a little bit of point that they uh, discussed on uh, Ringerverse last week uh, after the pilot is like, we met Boba in the tragedy episode of Mando and like, he's still cold-blooded badass slicing up stormtroopers, And it didn't seem like he had any qualms about that. And that, Boba is in between these two Bobas, so I really don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if they've fully explained what this arc is yet, or um, maybe it's asking too much that he goes from point A to B. I mean, we all develop by advancing and retreating and advancing and retreating and so on, but it's, mm. it's a curious thought. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I've been thinking more about, um, especially after chapter two, was how, for me, there's a bit of a similarity between Boba's time with the Tuscans and Bucky Rogers' time in Wakanda. Uh, we get that great scene in Falcon and Winter Soldier where we get a sense of how the Wakandans helped Bucky break free of that, um, you know, kind of that uh, brainwashing that he'd mm. known for so much of his life. The Wakandans were the ones that were able to help him break free of that. And I feel like the Tuscans are kind of the vehicle for, um, like you said, Boba to kind of break, break out of that old mode mold of just being a ruthless killing bounty hunter and becoming something else. Um, so I just, I, kind uh, of, yeah, I, I, I just want to say before people angry email you, it's Bucky Barnes, Bucky, uh, Steve you. Rogers, right. Bucky Barnes. <laughs> um, but I think there's something to that. And, you know, again, it, it gives me, you pause to think again about that idea of isolation. So, you know, Boba, as far as we know, up until Empire Strikes Back, I mean, in the current comics, he's still super cold-blooded, just out for profit, just out to, to win. Um, right up to the start of Return of the Jedi is, is about where the comics are. Um, and what does that get you? That gets you wealth and gadgets and stuff. And then where, what does all that mean when you're down in the bottom of the Sarlacc, right? Like, as, as you lay dying for a thousand years, it's like, well, glad I got all that money right so i wonder if there's there's something there about him him wanting to approach this differently and i i I think this continuing question of why does he want to be the head of a family why does he want this job is is really interesting in the present day 
Um, and you know, I, I would totally believe if it's because he wants to avenge his, uh, tribe that was slaughtered, I would totally believe if it was, he just wants to improve Tatooine. Um, and you know, family is obviously a crime Lord thing, but what's the opposite of isolation, but a family, Mm -hmm. right? A a found family or a, a, a biological family. And so maybe that's, that's really what he's looking for. I mean, it wasn't the feast we saw today, right? And, you know, he, he seems to like Fennec, but they don't, it doesn't seem to be just a single companion he was looking for. So maybe he, he just wants to build something, and, and that's what he's doing with his uh, Skittle Swoop friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, we'll, we'll uh, table them for a quick second. Um, and well, I, one, one final thing I, was, I had been thinking about uh, in regards to... Uh, his his experience with the Tuscans, especially in chapter three, again, with them all being wiped out. Uh, the emotion of that scene is quite, quite wonderful. And I think the shot of Tim Morrison mm. standing near the fire and you kind of just see the fire reflecting in his face. I actually like that. Part of me was like, oh, can he just cry? Give me that single tear. I love my single <laughs> tears. But you, but the eyes, I mean, the eyes are holding back all those tears. And I think that is very mm. Boba Fett, you know, still at the end of the day. He can be emotion. He can have emotions, but he's not going to be emotional. Almost like he won't give himself that permission. Um, if that makes sense. Um, well, I think what you're saying is, even without his mask, he's wearing a mask, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, that's that's who he is. He's a character of interiority. And yeah, a sobbing, wailing, ripping his clothes off performance is not what that man is going to do, right? Right. Well, and and that actually made me think back to his his reintroduction in Mandalorian specifically in the tragedy. I, I love the scene of, of, of Din as he's kind of picking through the, the rubble of the razor crest. And, you know, he finds the little ball that Grogu plays with, then he finds the spear and the way that that scene is shot, we get a couple close-ups of Boba watching him and the way Tamora Morrison is, is, emoting with his face is I just, to me, it's like there's this tremendous compassion is if he Mm -hmm. understands there's this empathy of understanding what it's like to lose a a family. You know, I think, I think he understood in these brief encounters that Grogu really meant something to Din. And, you know, he's, he's looking at this person walking through the rubble of their life. And it takes him back probably to this, the sands of Tatooine when he also walked through the rubble of his new life. Um, now, I don't know if that's intentional or not, but that was just something I thought could kind of make a neat connection. Well, and, and think about how Boba is a loner, but there are millions of his brothers in the galaxy, right? Mm. Compare the Boba we see here to the, the brothers in Bad Batch. Like, yeah. you know, they are a family connected through this weird world. You know, the, these clones are a product of the strangest possible circumstances. And here's Boba. Uh, what's his line in, in Mando season two? Like, I have a face that used to be very familiar or something, oh, something yeah. like that. They, let's just <laughs> and, say they'd recognize me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I, I think that's got to be the strangest version of that. Like, he is alone. And, and Django raised him, you know, to have it be the two of them until the the uh, Pederaki Arena uh, accident happened. Um, and then, you know, he, he doesn't have anybody. And, and in Clone Wars, we see him try to assemble a crew, right, a, a, and be a part of Aura Singh's uh, crew and, and things. And um, we we have some gaps there still, um, but I, I think we're maybe seeing that 
he wanted something greater, wanted the chance to, to have that family like you're noting and, and was denied it. Um, and maybe had it with the tribe and was denied it again. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, him slowly putting the child's stick in the fire is not all that different from him holding up Django's, um, helmet and, and kind of meditating on it. Hmm. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, well, uh, so to maybe deviate a bit from, from the Tuscan talk, uh, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's, like I said, that's been my favorite part of these episodes. <laughs> um, but we've also got, we got some, we got a really cool, uh, introduction of a comic book character in episode two and yeah. pretty prominently in episode three. Um, and I didn't know who this character was because I don't read most of the comics, but I know you uh, are, are especially a fan of the Dr. Afra series and this character comes from there. Yeah. Technically originally in, in Darth Vader, like uh, Dr. Afra herself, but, but yes, uh, certainly tied to, to Dr. Afra and, um, it has been fantastic to see Black Kersantan, um just in the fur, right, uh, on screen. Um, I, I think if I had had a wish list of what I wanted to see, it would not have dared to include him. Um, and although now I'm like, bring on Afra, She's got to be around the corner <laughs> or something. Um, but I, I, I was totally surprised when that happened. And, you know, it was one of those... Uh, leo dicaprio memes uh standing up on the couch and pointing like oh oh look at that look at that and um my wife was in the next room and, and heard me getting all excited she's like what what's going on came in and saw the weird wookie um uh certainly very cool i am a huge fan of them um you know i'm i'm just a fan i understand this isn't every fan but i invest so much in literature and comics related to star wars when they kind of take somebody from the minor leagues and give them the promotion. I, I couldn't be happier. And, you know, if, if people want to call it fan service, fine, I'm serviced. I love it. I'm a fan. So, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know who it was when I first watched the episode. I, I mean, I knew it was obviously some sort of Wookiee enforcer working for these huts, which I just was like, wow, that's such a cool design. Um, mm. And, um, and then when you blew up the, our group chat with, you know, our, our friend Ben and Ben is a huge Dr. Afro fan. And you were just, all you said was Ben's going to be very happy, um, <laughs> and of course he was, which was great. Uh, and also, quick shout out to the twins, the 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 Hut twins. Yeah, that digital work, that CGI, I thought was just phenomenal because we haven't seen a live action Hut since um, Jabba and the Phantom Menace, and it it just made me think a lot about how. This is what George was reaching for 25 years ago when he made digital Jabba for a special, you know, the special edition in a new hope. Um, yeah, that is, I still, to this day, that is the clunkiest weird looking <laughs> Jabba ever. And, you know, I think, I think it was altered every single release from film release to VHS release to the DVD release to, I feel like each subsequent one, like they tweaked a little bit more of the, the Jabba digital um, yeah, these I two, don't think he can touch it now, but but right. <laughs> so this will be our final one. <laughs> yeah. But you're right that right up through the Blu-ray, they were tweaking it and updating it. So, but it was just so cool to see two huts completely digital that looked awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I see a lot of fans being like, "Oh, it doesn't look as good as a puppet," and it's like, yeah, 
I don't. That's because you were attached to the puppet, right? Exactly. That, that was your first hut. Yeah. Um, I th- I think Star Wars is best when it's weird and it takes big swings, and this was a huge weird swing, right? Like, let's let's <laughs> give these weird twins that are kind of into each other. It feels like in some weird way. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I I have a sister. I don't spend my time like curled up with her at all. Yeah. Uh, so, um, and and just fully realized digital effects. You know, George doesn't get enough credit. Um, you know, I'm sure he will in, in his obituaries someday far from now, I hope. But like, you know, there, there was just a big uh, special effects reel uh, for Spider-Man released. And it's like trying to emphasize how amazing it is that it can be these two people in a weird, uh, you know, tiny piece of a set and it becomes this incredible visual. It's like, that's all George. That's, yeah. that's George going back and designing the, the digital cameras, telling Sony what he needed in order to do it and getting them to build it. Um, and the, you know, the thing about how in Attack of the Clones, he was the first to kind of say, oh, well, Natalie's good in take three and Hayden's good in take uh, one, two, three, four, five. No, Hayden's good in take two. Uh, <laughs> let's just chop that up and put that into a single take. And, you know, that's now just a given that they that any director can do that at any time. Um, and, I, and I think George deserves a lot of credit and, you know, pushed the envelope to here. And, and now we're, we're seeing the benefits of it. Um, and, and the last thought I'll give is, you know, George's show that he, Star Wars Underworld, right? The one mm-hmm. that they wrote a ton of scripts for, the, the Battlestar Galactica guy wrote scripts for. They said they couldn't do it because of the price, right? You could never produce Star Wars out of the price. And, and he was just ahead of it. And, and now the fact that we're there and Disney can invest the amount in it, it's just, it's a thing of beauty. I mean, it, it is his dream. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I love when, they push envelopes still with technology. I mean, I'm never super invested in learning about the said technology because that's <laughs> the side of things that particularly excites me. But I do love that that was always a staple of Star Wars and George was always pushing envelopes. So that was always something that I that rubbed me the wrong way when J.J. first came on for Force Awakens. Like, oh, we're going to go back and do it like they did in 77. And it's like, why? Why would you go back? <laughs> like, that's and like, yeah. that's the opposite of what George always did. Um, right. So I like when they I like when they use – I mean, CG has come a long way. And, it, you know, a lot of it looks really good today. So use it. That, yeah. Bo, that Bomar Monk at the beginning of, of you know, episode three – I still can't tell. Was that was that like stop motion? Was that digital? I couldn't tell. I thought it looked pretty bad, to be honest. Um, I love that it was there because the Bomar Monk is so cool. Um, so it was cool to see it in the show. But I thought it looked terrible. Uh, uh, not to now it feels bad to reveal this. So so this evening, um, Tippett Studios. So Phil Tippett, the guy who did the original stop motion and, mm. and now has his own studio. They revealed that that opening was theirs. So oh. they did a stop motion BMR Monk. Um, for that opening. So, um, so again, pulling it to the new and, and letting some of the old people play around. I think that's great. That's the spirit of it, right? George was attached to people and, and effects like that. Um, They revealed in this episode, I think it was the Pike syndicate guy revealed that the, the, uh, the gang that killed the Tuscans. We, yeah, that gang um, are called the Kinton striders. And I was immediately like, I know that name. Why do I know that name? Um, and, and I had to Google Wikipedia for it, but um, uh, it's one of the stop motion chess monsters, right? You might've had his Star Wars oh. CCG card. It's oh, kind cool. of the, the kind of teardrop shaped kind of beige one that 
jumps over and, and I think has a club of some kind. So, um, so yeah, so it felt like kind of two shout outs to tip it and to kind of the, the tradition of star Wars while still having, you know, groundbreaking effects is pretty cool. That is really cool. I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, well, all right, let's so right that 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 biker gang is introduced in also in chapter 2 where we get to go to uh it's either Anchorhead or Tashi station. Um probably Tashi station. I I messed up when I when I made my post about this the other day. I wrote Anchorhead and only one person called me on it. Um and it's somebody I don't know, so my my I don't know about you, Greg, but I always have like a quick visceral reaction to like somebody feeling like they're fanbroing me. <laughs> I just like it just drives me crazy. And I don't. I'm not saying that's what they were doing. I, you know, it's hard to no, tell tone you feeling like they're fanbroing, not not that they were intending to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, well, this is where I confess that your post sent me on a Wikipedia wormhole because I was like, I think it's Tashi Tashi Station yes. and not Anchorhead. And then I was looking through a lot of materials. Um, this script is not clear on it like the i mean the original a new hope script is not clear um but it seems like wikipedia settled on tashi station is a small building on the outskirts of the town of anchorhead seems to be the oh, right answer okay. so i don't think so i don't think you were ends. wrong to say anchorhead i don't think you know i think both are technically correct anyway so oh, good. Uh, yeah it was fun and ben ben was the one who tracked down the script to to share that to try to figure that out so that was that was a cool thought but uh, I mean, not again. Something I didn't dream of. I was floored when Cammy and Fixer are sitting there, <laughs> and they look like they did in the deleted scene. They did amazing casting work, and um, it just got me really excited. And and you know, it's 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 a funny thing because it's kind of a cliche scene, like oh, the rough gang stole his chips or whatever. <laughs> um, but like, it totally suckered me in. And and you know, again, I, I'm a fan who likes to be serviced and. That kind of fan service doesn't take anything away. I mean, you know, if my wife chooses not to watch these shows, but if she did, she'd just sit there and be like, yeah, there's a scene in a little bar where some people get harassed. Yeah. It doesn't distract, and it's not the point of the scene. But once you figure it out that it is Tashi Station and, oh, that arcade game is in it and, and that balcony, it's it's so cool. And certainly Favreau giving a little flex of, of what he can do in, in this world. It's pretty great. That must be a deep cut for him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure he'll tell us that going the, the all the way back episodes. to the yeah that gallery episode what is it it's something like that's real obvious in empire strikes back he's like oh that's, that's a deep cut deep you, cut yeah do you remember what it was that was a deep cut to him gosh it's gonna oh, drive me nuts now I it, it wasn't even the the rifle right because there's a moment where he's explaining the the rifle to george and saying it's from the holiday special and george is like i don't care yeah. he's like that wasn't me i don't care <laughs> but uh it's it is something where he says yeah it's a deep cut it's like no nah, it's not yeah no yeah not at all oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well that's where you have to wonder if maybe that was more of a felony influence than Favreau maybe just writes, he goes to a bar and breaks up the bar fight and Favreau's like, well, let's do this bar. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) You know, or, Um, you know, I wouldn't pass it, put it past Doug Chang, right? True. Maybe just drew it up and, and was like, yeah, use this, this design, (laughs) not even knowing, but who knows? I'm sure gallery will touch on it because I I love the gallery show. I'm not making fun of it, Um, but they do like to kind of show off when they've done something cool like that, which, which they have every right to do. So, so hopefully they'll explain it. Hmm. Yeah, well, we we obviously get that aggressive bully bully group of bikers, but now in episode three we get a new group of bikers. 
Um, <laughs> man, so right, we finally get to see that character that was in the trailer that everybody was going nuts about. I can't. To me, Greg, the, uh, I, the actor's name is Sophie Thatcher. Um, I don't know why, but her face just looks so much like like a younger Felicity Jones to me. So like in that, uh, I tr- think that in her accent is the right kind of British accent, right? Okay, like yeah. the, what the right yeah. variety? Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> so her character's neat looking. Um, I gotta say though, I just I love swoops in Star Wars, but they just looked like Vespas, <laughs> and like they just they looked so weird to me. The colors were a bit. A bit silly. Um, I don't know. And that chase scene was like, uh, like a geriatric chase scene. My God, was it slow? And I'm not, I'm not talking like <laughs> long and drawn out. I mean, like it felt like they were going ten miles an hour. Like, <laughs> there, where, where's the speed we thought we would get from like swoops and stuff? Um, I don't know. I, I got to admit that the design of that crew and that chase scene were wildly underwhelming to me. Um, just the design of, of the, the, the little swoop gang there is, I don't know. It just, it didn't feel like star Wars aesthetics to me. Um, I, I always like to be, I mean, I, I want to own, like I'm wary of using the expression that's not star Wars. Cause right. That's a, such a subjective thing to say, but something about just their, the actual design of their clothing felt really out of place to me. Um, the cyborg parts, it just, it felt like a sci-fi original crummy mid nineties <laughs> sci-fi show. Like it just, it felt so low budget for star Wars. <laughs> um, so I, I'm sorry. I like if, if you're listening and you love them, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to take that away from you, but it just really didn't work for me. Um, what did you think about it? Yeah. I mean, so the, uh, there are a couple culture, uh, cultural references I made. Um, the first was um, we have a, a mutual friend who really loves anime. Um, and a couple years ago, I think, God, probably three years ago now, he asked me to go see Alita Battle Angel, which mm. was a movie um, that came out. Uh, <laughs> well, movies come out. Uh, uh, but uh, I had no interest in seeing it, but I have, I have the AMC pass, so it was free. And I'm like, yeah, if you want a buddy to go with you, I'll, I'll go. It's you know, it's just an evening out to me. And, um, and it was pretty good, but that's actually a Robert Rodriguez movie, and it's set in this futuristic world, and there's a fancy kind of roller derby racing thing, and there's a lot of human cyborg things uh characters throughout that including alita is is a a robot herself um it's it's become kind of a fascination for me because i i think it was like a b movie like i i didn't hate it i didn't love it it was fine but the fandom for it is so rabid um i Mm. I saw one year there was a like um a poll of like what's your top movie of, of last decade and the first like thousand replies where all people being like you know after thinking about it i think it was alita battle angel (laughs) nobody thinks that um so but but clearly people have a passion for it so to me that's where my mind went immediately i was like oh these look like they're straight out of alita and you know it it was robert rodriguez uh directing this time and um you know danny trejo um you know from many many things but maybe fanboys most probably in in our neck of the universe um playing the the kind of rancor minder he's also a long-term collaborator of of rodriguez so that's clearly kind of him putting a stamp on this too bringing trejo in um so i i to me anyway this felt like robert rodriguez is like very deliberate choice to bring him in um aesthetically i i definitely think they you know it seems redundant to say but 
they knew what they were doing, right? The concept art is exactly this. They are all brightly colored and, you know, different from everything around them. And so I, I suspect that there's a part of their story that has been decided and whether it'll be in the show or not, I, I don't really know. But it seems to me like like this is a group that is, you know, new to Tatooine or not from Tatooine. Um, uh, and there's a reason why they stand out so much. Um, the cybernetic qualities they have, you know, the, the robot leg we see and the, like, blowtorch wrist attachment we see and and then um you know the the arm on the the main girl um all of that doesn't feel like things we've seen in star wars before but yet to me feels like something that would happen in that universe right Mm. um you know if if you can get a bionic hand why wouldn't you get one that also has a tool inside it right um so I, i i always struggle because i I think my demand on Star Wars is that they don't just play the hits, right? But then when they play the new stuff, you're like, what is the new stuff? Like, go back and play the hits, right? So I think as as a fandom and, and myself personally, like, I don't think they can win with me. <laughs> so I, I want them to keep changing what Star Wars can be. Um, but I, I think sometimes they miss the mark. I'm not ready to quite give final judgment yet, though. I want to see more of this. And the last thing I'll say, and, and I hope this isn't offensive, is, is what I said earlier, which is a lot of people have been like, oh, so they're they're this low, down-on-their-luck gang that can't afford water, but then they have these pristine, uh, you know, swoops. And, and I just say, I know so many people who, you know, have a falling-apart house and, you know, piles of junk all over their yard and yet have a pristine, usually Corvette sitting in the garage that <laughs> is, you know, waxed every day and so on. Like, I do think, you know, there's a, a, a type of person who, who's, you know, maybe it's like a gearhead thing, right? Where you just love the car and that's where you put all your money, right? I'm talking to you from my Star Wars room. So, you know, I see where I put my money, right? And, and the house could fall apart and I'd still fill this with fun collectibles. So it's certainly not a judgment, but I, I think that might be part of what it is, Um and, and we'll see. I mean, I'm talking too much, but I'll just say one of the things I'm nervous about is like Boba Fett took them in very easily. It, it all mm. just happened like, yep, yeah, okay, great. Um, and Fennec is giving us these constant messages of you can't do this. Like, you can't be this nice. You have to be tough. And I think to me that gives me the sense that someone in this mix is going to betray him. But I'm not sure it's the Swoop Gang or the Gamorreans Fennec, um, but I think Boba's naivete in this area, or you know, might come back to bite him. I don't know. Mm. That's well. I I was really taken aback when uh, the 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 Wookiee bounty hunter Chris Christan. How, what is it again? Chrysanthemum. Chrysanthemum. Um, when he just shows up and Boba's back to <laughs> back to bath and just opens it up and attacks him. It's like, where is everybody? Doesn't anybody guard yeah. this place? I, I found that really, really just like, whoa, okay, that's happening. I mean, I guess it could make sense. He's got a total of what, like six people there now with him. I mean, it's a, it's a big palace. They could have been off somewhere else, clearly. Um, I guess a lot of windows in his bedroom too. Yeah, like, true. He could have climbed up, load a speeder up to the side and yeah. jump in. But yeah, it was it was shocking. It, it was, um, but it was. I mean, I loved the action sequence. I thought it, it was just so cool to see a a, a big terrifying Wookiee being a big terrifying Wookiee. 
Um, because yeah. Chewie's always been essentially a gentle giant, right? Uh, his his threats of violence have always been just that threats, but this was not that. This was this was a brutal Wookiee fight, um, and him tackling the two Gamorrean guards down the stairs, I just thought was particularly visceral. I I, I really enjoyed that moment. Um, like wow, the, like these are like these these are three brutes just barreling down some stairs and. You know, literally bite like the Wookiees biting and 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 scratching and clawing. Yeah. I mean, it, it was such a, just such a gruesome fight. Um, I thought that was really well done. Um, and then, you know, the the Power Rangers show up with their <laughs> gadgets. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I'm so I don't. I I, I really well, like. I like aesthetically. <laughs> Sorry, the other aesthetic reference is um, I thought the swoop bikes looked like Daleks from Doctor Who. So they're they're clearly going for mm. kind of British invasion sixties aesthetic aesthetic. And I'm not an expert at this, but somebody has told me there's a there's kind of a scooter um, modification uh, kind of thing that that was going on then, where where you'd have like a Vespa with that many rearview mirrors uh, done up to look cool. So they clearly were very deliberate in what they chose, but um, uh, I'm interested to see where it goes. I just got a shout out, and I already tweeted this joke, but I definitely when um, towards the end of the chase, when uh, the lead girl gets pushed up the staircase. Um, I, I said to my television alone at 4 a.m. I was like, uh, she's been pushed onto the service ramp. And, and I just watched Phantom Menace yesterday. So I was like, it is exactly what it is. It comes down on him, you know, very similarly. So it felt like a little kind of echo, which was fun. Yeah, I I really like the look of that character a lot. Um, uh, I, I try to remember the name. Of, they did say the character's name. Um I almost I think it's like Dash or something like that. It's very close to Dash. It's like, ooh, is this the canon version of Dash Rendar? Um, I mean, I don't think that's going to be the case. But uh, I did like her character. I liked her design. Um, it's clear to me that she and Boba, I really do feel like, are going to create some sort of relationship. Um, I don't I don't know if it's going to be like a, a father daughter type thing. I'm not sure, but I will just point out when when the fight is happening in his back to parlor, she particularly when the rest of the gang is kind of getting thrown around, she is backing up with Boba behind her, kind of like putting her arms out as if she's defending him. Um, I, I don't know if you noticed that, but I just thought it was really like I, I really keyed in on that. Like she she specifically is putting herself in between Boba and um, Christan. I'm, I screwed up the name again. Sorry. Um, Chrysanthemum. But yeah, Chrysanthemum, yeah, she yeah. also gets in a brutal hit on him. I noticed in my second viewing where she really digs a, a vibro blade right into oh, yeah. his ribs. Like oh, yeah. Prison yard shiv. Like, <laughs> yeah. So so she's formidable, as, as I think what you're saying, and, and seems loyal already, um, which is very quick. So um, right. is that expediated for just because we got to keep the plot moving or, you know, is it, is it going to feel too easy for them to betray him later? I can't really tell. Right. Um, well, the, the, I mean, again, there's, there's, there's a lot of things in both these episodes we haven't talked about, but this was more of just to get a conversation going. And the way I kind of want to close this conversation um, is something specific to you because again, your your uh, your social media names out there are Ion Cannon, uh, like you <laughs> stated earlier again, and as if you stated several times when you've been on the show, right? You're you're 
you're a literature buff. That's, that's what you are. That's who you are. And that's how you consume star Wars. So something that let me, let me talk this out and then I'm going to be quiet and let you, let you kind of respond to it. <laughs> so as I was watching the scene of Boba petting the rancor, you know, being very almost cutesy with it, right? Like he, at one point, like as he's scratching, he says, Oh, we've got to come up a na- with a name for you or something, right? Like it's, it's this really tender moment of somebody getting their first pet or something. And all, and I enjoyed. It. I really enjoyed that scene. But I will say, like, it kind of just struck me. I'm like, this is a really different Boba Fett, right? Like, very, very different Boba Fett from the Boba Fett that has lived in the Legends canon for thirty odd years now. Um, and my kind of my question to you, and and again, like, I, I don't think there's any right or wrong answers here. But what I'm curious about is, so. For 30 plus years, Boba Fett has been in our canon, this kind of cold, ruthless, killing bounty hunter. Now he's petting his pet Rancor that he wants to learn <laughs> to ride. You know, I mean, it's it's just this huge swing. And I'm not saying that it's it's not possible or it's 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 not well done. But I'm just curious, like what you think about um, how. How our understanding of legends and, and, you know, you and I are both fans who are in our mid thirties, right? So we grew up at a particular time as, as a lot of folks like to call it the dark times. Um, so, you know, your bread and our bread and butter, Greg, for all those early years of our fandom were all these books, these stories, and we ate them up and they became part of our canon Star Wars. And now when you have things like this, um, you know, that are just so different, it just you know, how do you, how do you make sense of that? It, it, maybe that's the wrong way to ask it. Um, uh, oh, and also really quick, one little caveat, cause I, I want to make sure I don't forget to say this when he does reference that, uh, rancors are ridden by the witches of Dathmir. That's straight out of courtship of princess Leia, which is <laughs> yeah, yeah, one I'm of so the most like <laughs> one of the most disturbing star Wars books of the old legends canon. But also like, I loved that book growing up. It's the one where obviously Han and Leia get married, um, but they go to Dathmir and they meet the Dathmirian witches who ride rancor. So that, I just thought that was cool that it got mentioned. But again, so like, right, you know, you and I, and so many other fans have all of these years of, of, of our legends canon of Boba Fett. And now you've got a scene like this that is just so, so different from what we've come to know. What do you make of yeah. that? Um, so, so I'm going to steal again, uh, just one quick thought from uh, Joanna Robinson, who's now at the ringer formerly of Vanity Fair. So she used to hang out with Bresnikin a lot. Um, she's a great critic of nerd stuff and is, is weaker on Star Wars, only in that she doesn't have as much experience as, as Marvel material, but, but very smart and insightful. And one of the things she pointed out, um, and I think this is an insight born of being not a, a man in their 30s or early 40s, but a woman. And it's like every dude you talk to, all they talk about is how much playing with Star Wars toys was important when they were little. <laughs> and... Um, you know, and every time uh, some new creative comes on board Star Wars, they have to like pause and talk about playing with their action figures in their backyard and inventing their stories. And it is so unique that that is exactly where so much of our fandom is born, right? Mm. That's not something that happens with Marvel. That's not something that happens with Star Trek it's, it, or Lord of the Rings or fill in whatever fandom you want. Um, it is a uniquely Star Wars thing. 
And that is a blessing and a curse because the stories we get will never be as awesome as what we invented for ourselves at age (laughs) eight in our sandbox or or wherever else. Um, And yet it's such an important part of how we learned these characters' names and how we did it. And, And so that to me is a reminder that what was great about Boba Fett is the unknown. Right. Mm. We get these little doses. We get an amazing costume. We get these gadgets and we don't even know what they all do, but they're on him. And we get to make that up. We get to play that. And I think, you know, the gift that George had was always, I'm going to give you some outlines and you get to color them in. And now that Star Wars has existed for 40, moving towards 45 years, I guess this year, um, it just means that they've filled in more and more and we don't get to fill in as much. Um, and the other piece that that reminds me of is, I'm sure you've heard it, um, Patton Oswald's stand-up routine from right <laughs> after the prequels, um, where uh, not his Parks and Rec filibuster, yeah. which is obviously getting a lot of rounds <laughs> lately, um, but his, uh, his stand-up routine where it's like, and, and you, you guys, in the second one, you'll get to meet Boba Fett. Oh, wow, he's such a great killer. I can't wait to see. He must be a total badass. Like, what's he like? It's like, well, he'll be a little boy. It's like, no, come on. Like, we don't want that. Um, and, you know, I think it's an offensive stand-up routine to prequel fans. But but there's some truth to that, that we've uh, really had it kind of filled in in a way we weren't expecting. And that's George's genius, right? Like, he didn't want to tell you dark, brooding Anakin. He wanted to tell you yippee wizard Anakin. Mm. Um, so how do we how do we reconcile all that, to, to get back to the question of the matter? I mean, I think you're pinpointing what is at the heart of a lot of discontent around this show. Reactions seem mostly positive, but the negative ones tend to be somewhere around there. That's not the Boba Fett I imagined. That's not the Boba Fett I always dreamed of. Um, or that I read about in book after book after book. Now, me personally, my favorite Boba Fett stories from Legends were the ones where he wasn't a deadly assassin, but where he was smarter than the rest of the bounty hunters, right? Um, So I think particularly of the Shadows of the Empire comic book, Mm -hmm. where all the bounty hunters are waiting at Tatooine and he finds a way to outsmart them and still get Han Solo to Jabba's palace, um, I think of uh, the great Timothy Zahn. Uh, gosh, I'm going to forget the name. Is it Honor Among Thieves? Something like that? Yep. That's, yep. Yeah. 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 Have you read that? Oh, no. It's uh, Honor Among Thieves is actually a James S.A. Corey book who wrote those oh. Those guys wrote The Expanse. But I know which one you're talking about. It's, I think most. Scoundrels. Scoundrels. I think it is. Yep. Scoundrels. Scoundrels. Yeah. Um, so that's one of my favorite Boba Fett books um and it's i i, I kind of don't want to say more about it than that because what's cool about it is uh something surprising so hmm. so uh but but again the boba fett we get there is the the master chess player right the guy who's more tactical and smart yeah he's got the biggest gun but he never has to fire it because he hmm. figures out a way to not have to um and you know I, I think a lot of fans our age, you know, still just like the Boba Fett they invented when they couldn't get the rocket firing jetpack, right? <laughs> so, so they're never going to be satisfied with any different Boba. But even by the end of Legends, and, and I know you've read this material more recently than I have, Boba Fett has a daughter, yep. right? Yep. And has to consider at least being the, the Mandalore, right? He, he is the Mandalore. Um, he is the Mandalore yeah. by the end. Yeah. yeah. And so I think... 
to think of him as only the loner who's just a total badass doesn't actually remember that accurately. It may remember him from, you know, the Shadows of the Empire video game or whatever, but, um, and 1313, which never got made. But um, I think there was a, a kind of more sensitive Boba there. Um, and I'm just going to say my last piece on that is just my view on mythology is mythology's purpose, whatever form it takes is meant to speak to the present moment. Um, and I think it would be dangerous right now to give us a badass dude who does whatever he wants and brutalizes whoever he wants to get money and just be kick-ass. I mean, first of all, that sounds effing boring to, yeah. to watch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, you, know, uh, you know, even the movies with, you know, that type of character today, they always have a soft underbelly, right? I, I, I believe John Wick is avenging a kitten, <laughs> right? And, uh, you know, uh, things like that. So um, I think I think the point is mythology teaches you what your society needs. And Favreau has kind of hit on something, which is we need to redefine what it is to be masculine in this society because we aren't the people who, or we shouldn't be the people who would do things like that. Um, is it is it different? Absolutely. And some people, I will never buy into it, and, and that's their right, that's their choice. But I think, um, you know, like I think Last Jedi gives us the Luke Skywalker we needed, I think this show is aiming to, to give us the Boba Fett we need, even if it's not the one we want. Mm. Great point. Yeah. Um, and that, I, I really just, I love the point you bring up about, you know, how how much of this new storytelling in star Wars and it started really with Mandalorian. I mean, Favreau is the perfect example of this, the ability to play star Wars with your action figures, but with actors now, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you kind of get to imagine those stories. Um, but they can't just be the stories of an eight year old because star Wars at its core has always been a mythology. That's has some level of lesson about the world in which we live. So, to upgrade that, I think, does make perfect sense. Um, but something that happened when I watched Mandalorian, specifically season one, and what's already happened with the first couple episodes of Book of Boba Fett, is it does have me feeling like I myself am back in the sandbox of Star Wars. And mm. and what I mean by that, to, to give an example, is it's like I've just found myself toying around in this in my, my Star Wars room again, like making yeah. new little setups, uh, rearranging things, right? Kind of just like imagining things in Star Wars and then kind of creating them, if you will. Uh, I mean, I've loved what they've done with the, the Tuscan culture that, that we've gotten gotten so much of. Um, I'm going this weekend just to a local comic shop to buy some used Tuscan figures because I want to make a, a sand terrarium with a little Tuscan village in it. Like, I, I don't know how it's going to turn out. I am not a crafty person. Um, but at the <laughs> same time, like this is this is part of what I love about Star Wars is that it does kind of elicit this level of imagination that nothing else in my life does in the same way. Um, and I love that Star Wars still does that for me. Um, even in my mid thirties, just, just like it did when I was, you know, a nine year old. Um, but it, it just looks different now. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I think that's what I'm loving most still about the, about the show is that it just, uh, because you can get the sensibility that the creators are having such a fun time telling these stories, it makes me just want to have fun with star Wars again. Um, and, and, and because of that, like these questions of like, oh, is this the same old Boba Fett, uh, Boba Fett? 
I don't care. Like, I love what they're doing mm-hmm. with him. I love that they're making him a new type of character. And as you kind of hinted at earlier, that's all really, again, and thanks to George Lucas, with that decision in 2002, 20 years ago, to make Boba Fett a child who has a father who he's going to tragically watch be killed. Right. Yeah. Um, so Boba Fett now has a human arc. It was something he never had prior to 2002. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I had mentioned this on a few episodes back before before Book of Boba Fett started. I was my goal was to reread the the War of the Bounty Hunters trilogy um, by K.W. Jetter. They came out in ni- 1998. Greg, I made it about 100 pages into the first book. And I'm like, I just <laughs> I just can't anymore. Like, I can't read this um, yeah. in part because it's just not well written. But secondly, because it's such a boring story. Everybody is just killers. And it's like this isn't particularly fun and obviously i didn't finish it out (laughs) and uh (laughs) i did when i was a kid and i I remember really liking it as a kid um because it's it it, at its core it's just kind of like an adventure story um but there's not really any character depth if you will i mean uh just just to throw this in there because i think it makes sense here is like you look at the high republic books we're getting now you know which they are telling really exciting Star Wars stories, but at the heart of them is these really compar- compelling characters. Um, mm. So, and that's what I feel like a lot of old legend stuff just really didn't lack. It was just, it it almost became a, they became serialized stories in and of themselves. It's like, here's the next big adventure story with your favorite characters. Um, but the characters never really change, if that makes sense. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I, I for one, do really like what they're doing with Boba Fett. Um, as I've said earlier, you know, uh, the biggest investment I've had in the show so far is the, the flashbacks with the Tuscans. Um, I haven't been as excited about the forward story, but but now as we clearly seem to be settling into that, I still have so many questions. I, I, like you said earlier, Greg, like, why does he want to be the head of this family? What are his plans on Tatooine? Um, and I, the thing yeah. that I think really needs to be explored, and I'm sure that it's going to be, is what is his relationship with Fennec? Um, wh- you know, why did she choose to be with him the way she is? I, I just feel like that she has not gotten any... <laughs> She hasn't really gotten anything yet. I've seen some people be like, Ming-Na Wen is absolutely killing it. And it's like, she's not really doing anything. And I, I'm not like belittling her acting or anything. It's it's fine. But she also doesn't have much of a role yet still. She's just there. Well, and I think about how much Fennec, the character, could be making doing assassin jobs, not sitting around with Jabba. Or, sorry, Boba. Yeah. So, you know, I think I, I'm interested to see that explored a little bit more. And I think they know what you have with Ming Nguyen. Like she's a badass and she can do awesome fight choreography, but there's a lot of acting skills there. So I bet we see that flexed before the end of the season. Oh yeah. I am too. Um, but I just, I just, I just want to see it. That's I'm just saying that. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, I want to see a full blown syndicate war, right? That's yes. the unfulfilled promise at the end of solo. And that's right. what Jake Kasdan said. Jake, Jake said, John he would do in the sequel, John, yeah. John, the younger one. Yes, John. John Kasdan. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think there's also a Jake who's in Hollywood, but oh, okay. Maybe he's a director. Um, yes. So what John would, uh, you know, want uh, to have done with that is, is the larger syndicate war, and I think it's brewing. A um, lot of buzz right now about, you know, could we see Kira? Could we see Crimson Dawn? Um, 
I'm suspicious of those rumors only because she's so much a part of the the comics right now, and it doesn't seem like you start to fill in that picture if you would potentially have to change it. But I'm I'm open to be surprised. I'm open to seeing her. Yeah, me too. I but I, I also don't know that that's going to happen. Yeah. Um. If, if there's a syndicate war, I think it'll be season two. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But clearly, you know, the way the episode ends, it's. Fennec says to Boba, it looks like they're coming here to you know start a war. Well, we will be ready. And maybe that's why Boba is just so quickly recruiting folks with very little uh, time for interviewing. <laughs> um, <laughs> he understands that he needs to build something up himself. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Again, like I don't. I don't really care for the design of that swoop gang in this latest episode, but I do really like what they kind of represent in the story that they are these, this group of outcasts that have no sense of belonging. Boba understands that understands. I was going to say you're describing Boba. Yeah. When he was trying to be with Aura Singh. Yeah. So this is an opportunity to build something that he's always wanted. And he sees these folks who probably in, in his mind are looking for some sense of belonging and offers that to them. Um, so so I so I like that a lot. Again, it's just it's just more the aesthetic look of them that's just odd to me. So, but you know when when the if the characters are great and the 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 way they work in the show is awesome, that's something that's easy to overlook. Absolutely. So, but yeah, I think that'll do it for us uh, f- for this kind of fun little recap episode. Uh, Greg, I appreciate you taking the time to to do this with me and my pleasure always yeah i I always appreciate your insight on uh oh you know on canon and and legend conversations i just i love having (laughs) those conversations specifically with you so i was was glad we could get into a little bit of that um but yeah we uh before we go greg you know folks want to get glimpses into your your constant buzzing mind on star wars and and your awesome pictures that you share of your own Star Wars collection. Where can they do that? Uh, I'm uh, found on Instagram and Twitter at IonCanon, E-Y-E-O-N-C-A-N-O-N. Um, I am more active on, on Twitter of the two. Uh, I, I don't respond a lot on Instagram, but I do like to share my collection and uh, especially I think just it's been my winter break from teaching. So I've been reading a ton of Star Wars stuff and, and really enjoying it. So I, I've been sharing little insights I have here and there and, and having fun with it. So, uh, yeah, uh, always up for a conversation on Twitter. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and, um, uh, Jason and I are going to be back next week, uh, with a, uh, I'm very excited about next week's episode. We're going to be looking back at 25 years of the Star Wars trilogy special edition. Cause January 31st, 1996. Nope. Yep. 97. Seven. Thank you. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So bad at math was, uh, was the, the release of the first star Wars special, special edition movie. So we're going to be looking back on that in next week's episode and, um, uh, all the wonderful things, the special editions offered to the star Wars fan community. Uh, so yeah, so hopefully you'll, you'll come back and check that out. Um, so, like I said, uh, this has been episode 451 of the Wampus Lair Podcast, Tribes of Moss Espa. For Greg, I'm Carl, and Jason, who's here in the spirit of a bantha, because that's what I'm choosing. 
who rules with fear, as Greg would say. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. Dum, 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 dum.